Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Break Dream Podcast. I'm Jeff. And I'm Laura. Today, we're going to talk about probably a few things we're learning about stats. Get excited. That's what we're going to cover, I guess. Who's not excited? Wait, wait. Don't stop. Don't stop. It's not that boring. (laughs) Don't don't tune out. Stay. We're going to talk about actually thinking about research and thinking about putting stats methods into context of your purpose. So take a listen and we have a few thoughts on that. And of course, recommendations for your listening pleasures at the end. Uh, I, had no a good, I had a good chat with Lil and he was kind of like, you know, that he's like a data scientist now, right? So I told yeah. him that uh, he wants, I said that he should come on to talk about, cause he did an, a master's in applied math and statistics and I, I was like yeah you're talking my language he's like and I'd use R and I was like do you use SAS and Python he goes I'd like to use it more so I was like do you want to work on a side project but I was hey like, do you SAS yeah I use SAS that's what I use for my yeah that's what I use for my, my dissertation so you don't use SPSS you do um I do for some like if I've got some like correlation and other stuff I have like I'm I most of my training like from school stuff is that but um SPSS is what I used in R and I'm starting to pick up Python for like because I look at a lot of unstructured text so that's been my yeah. areas but when I have like yeah. I have some survey stuff that I want to find correlations and I actually and I was like you need to really know who you're talking to when you were starting to correlation of 1.1 to or like points one to five like it was like 0.5 and I was like mm, that's not that strong it's okay. You know, and the thing about correlation is there are a lot of things that are deemed statistically significant, but it's not meaningful. Right. Right. So, like, they're not showing the, like, Pearson's R score, right? They're just showing the, the, their, um, the, their P values. And, and I've, Notice this in conferences a lot. The people on their posters will put their um, like how significant this is, mm-hmm. but they don't they don't show like the, you know the strength of that. Because um, I've done a lot of studies that you know correlations are significant. GPA is not one of them, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Surprisingly, but it has a very low predictive value. Well, I don't think people get like where the power of some of their stats comes from. And I think there and honestly until you read more like empirical studies or still until you kind of play with stuff yourself, it's not just going to be like a few of things comparison and this is your findings and that's your broad sweeping judgment. You have to figure out why that might be, what does your sample say? Like, cause I was kind of like after they said, well, this is the P and this is the R and I said, there, there's not just because they correlate doesn't mean that's a cause. Right. And, and we started digging into, I I said, do you think your sample is representative? Can you really say this? And I asked questions about not just tech use, but like interpretation of what's used for personal and professional. And, and it's not a criticism, but it's something we don't ask about in thinking about um, planning or studies and like getting, true representation as best you can and snowballing for other people and like I think there's a lot of things that people just go off and say I'm gonna 
cite this one study that was in a classroom using Facebook. And and I said, how is that going to be representative to a professional in practice? Because a student's carrot is a grade and it's it's really socially infused as well because they have a set time they meet and it's in person and online versus just an online. And so there's just so many variables that I don't think get accounted for or brought into. And yeah, I agree with you. Like you're looking at empirical literature in an area we're researching and you say it's crap, but I was like, this is what we have to build on, unfortunately, and say, yeah, this is not as good because they can't actually make this sweeping generalization that they are making in some of the research we see. Have we talked about my statistics certificate I'm working on? No. Tell me what you're working on because I, I, I'm impressed that you're doing a formal learning. I'm j- I just ad hoc my work on MOOCs. And, and, and let me such. say, <laughs> um, I'm only working on it for one more week and then I'm not going to continue it. So, okay, I got an EDD, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I feel the stats courses I had was good for what I had. I just felt there was a, I was lacking a, a certain depth in certain areas and a breadth, a breadth of uh, methodologies in other areas, right? So, what kind of courses was, did you take in your program? I was going to ask you that. It was they. They weren't. It wasn't like I took a qualitative course and a quantitative course. It was basically like research one, two, and three, right? So it was kind of all. It was like mixed together. SPSS was thrown in there along along the way. So when I, when and we had our qualifying exams. We have a qualifying exam around stats, where we have to be able to. Um, I, I, I believe it wasn't that long ago, but my, I have a mental block from it. Um, there's all, there's a lot of like questions, like a research questions. There's like a written part of the exam, but then there's like an SPSS part of the exam where, um, you have to, uh, you know, read this. Uh, little synopsis, determine the best type of study for it, which is typically like we did correlation studies. We, it was uh, a lot of t-test, uh, mm-hmm. single uh, single or paired sample t-test. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, I mean, now, like, it seems like super easy. At the time, it seemed like stressful and difficult because um, it was all it was all new. Um, and I use SPSS all the time now. Um Wait, you're saying so, when you get to apply your actual knowledge instead of just learn about it somewhere in a class, you learn more? Sure. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. It's surprising. <laughs> um, like, like, I feel like I, I could walk in and take that test cold right now and ace it. And interestingly enough, like, my third semester of stats, which is our last one, was when my daughter had some medical issues, and that class was the only B I made. Because I there was a significant assignment which I turned in late, and I knew I was going to turn in late because my daughter's in the hospital. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to turn this in late. I know I'm going to get a bad grade. I don't care. It's not that important. And so over the holiday break, when I, I needed to study for the the comprehensive exam, like I super overstudied for that exam. Like I I uh, could have answered any question they threw at me that that day so i it was like the first time like everything clicked Mm -hmm. i had everything down like i knew how to answer every question um there wasn't anything about like one of the methodologies i knew that they were gonna throw me off Mm -hmm. and i was kind of like 
oh, this is how smart people feel all the time. Um, so probably so not nice. all the time. So don't feel bad. <laughs> it was nice to feel that way because I was typically always the, like, I don't, don't know how I'm going to do in this exam. Like, um, I may fail it. And so, so anyway, so two years goes by and I've, I've been doing more education research mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, I can, I can hit the ceiling of my research pretty quickly I know I can learn it. I mean, I have books. There's people around me. I know I have friends that know research. But my institution started a reimbursement for education. So I was like, I'm going to see if there's there's something out there I can do semi-formally. Um, like, I don't... I'm probably not going to go to a classroom. Mm-hmm. So if, if UTSA had a certificate program here, I, I would have considered it. Uh, but... I found an online certification program for, well, they do several different certifications, but I was going to do one for the statistics for social sciences. Mm-hmm. And it's been super disappointing. You're in that right uh, now is what you're saying. I'm doing like the fourth class. Can you, so, can you give an overview of like what that means? Cause that's a broad topic. And cause I want to get, I want to figure out kind of what you're learning and what. Sure. So I go back to, so they have like a stats one, a stats two intro class. And really like if you never really did stats before you could start in these classes. And I didn't want to start in stats three because uh, I'm not sure there, there's something about going through the whole, um, uh, a process like I know exactly what was taught in one and two before I got to three so there's no holes to fill in mm-hmm. and so I do one I do two and that's a lot of it's that they start with probability they start with and that's a lot of it is probability um, they're super into resampling like everything yeah. is everything is like everything has to go back to resampling well, because there's data sets over there, and there's also studies that have data sets that we should kind of be replicating, right? That's interesting. Yeah. You did probability. You know? Do you know I studied that in grade eleven? What you guys call it? That, that was grade? like the, that was like day one. Like we didn't okay. stay on that for long. Okay. But like they, but that's like where they started. That was like the first thing they started with. But they did like have box samplers. So they taught you how to like run, like 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 run like run this scenario like ten thousand times to see what comes up in this in this. That was kind of cool, right? That was like that. So that was new. Um, I, I have not done a lot of resampling in my life, so that was new, mm-hmm. but then it gets to the point where like, for example, they were talking about a study on medical error and like, mm-hmm. and like physician error in hospitals and how, um, this hospital wants to like reduce medical error. And so you kind of go through this, you know, was this a significant reduction, et cetera, et cetera. And then it was like, now do this with resampling. And I'm like, but this is the data. Like, this is what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand the need to resample everything. And I couldn't tell, do they just want us to understand resampling? Or do they think resampling has to go in every study, regardless of the sample size? Because I, I totally understand. You have a small sample. Yeah. You have a, you have a small sample. You, like, you can't do the study with these 12 people and this this data alone. So if you bootstrap it or if you do whatever, whatever sample methodology you're going to do, um, you can then have like a more powerful set and, and then go forward with it. Um, versus you need to make sure everything is not left up to chance. 
I have a good uh, website I picked up in my program. Actually, I have a few good ones, but uh, one of them is talking about what you're talking about if people are listening about power and what does that mean for your sample and what does that mean for your P and R. Like, so I have a good, like, kind of easy website to give you some idea of is your size, sample size, big enough to say X um, or have enough power to uh, make it significant. Um, I'll put that in the show notes, but it's interesting to hear you go through this because I, um, when I entered my PhD, I came from like you, um, ed program in my master's. So I did a master's of science. It had some research, but I think it's baby research. So I did K-12, uh, master's of science in ed. And then my undergrad was in history and English. And so not coming from a big social science background into my PhD, uh, was a big, like I hit the wall and I had to, like, I had to start running with stats, like, and I, and I didn't realize that the full extent, because I'm not in, I was never not in an ed program. I'm in a, um, combined interdisciplinary program, but it had like a heavy, like heavy research emphasis. So we had the required courses and we partnered with ed psychology a little bit on courses, but we also had the flexibility to go to other departments and, and that was based on her design, but we had like the basic survey design, analyze existing data. Like it sounds like you talked about and design your own instrument. And we had this course in our program, which was essentially building your uh, research plan. And I wish we had that, like that was the end, one of the end courses, but I wish we had it earlier because yeah. it talks about how do you look at the question questions and in context and think about the design before you even get into um, statistics. And I, I, I did okay in my statistics, so I have a course in multiple regression, uh, multivariate analysis, which is a whole bunch of different types, structured equation modeling. Um, I didn't do uh, nested data, the HLM model, but that was an option I chose to do a different qualitative class in anthropology because I wanted to do ethnographic research, and that's uh-huh. kind of like what I'm doing now, net netography or um, ethnographic online and then I also wanted to do I wanted to take a data analysis like a like a a class proper from the business school and so I my major professor didn't let me so I just approached that professor and said hey I have a data set can I work with you and I learned some of like the latent semantic text analysis looking at unstructured text and looking at how I could do that better uh, using large data sets so um, my my program had some allowances to sub in some courses in decision sciences, maybe statistics, maybe anthropology or sociology in their stats kind of courses. And then we had Ed Psych. And then we have some, like, I had, like, a professor that was in my department. She's awesome. She got her second doctorate in educational psychology, like, statistics, because she just could. And her first um, PhD was in my program, um, which is applied technology and performance improvement. And that's, we had, we're heavy on evaluation. So there's no surprise that we had, I think, minimum six courses, plus probably most of us took another two or three other statistics courses. But my issue with all of these courses and how they put them into a program is in not in context to an actual project or what you're yeah. working on. It sometimes doesn't make sense for, and that was just what I found because I had to like tool up and use things from, yeah, Con Society to some MOOCs to some other textbooks or books I found just to teach because I didn't, like, I'm not going to get it from a textbook, but I need to have a problem to work on. So I got it in context. So whenever I'm learning a new um, method or tool or way of research, it helps to actually be in the research because that's then you're like, oh, this is something I need, and I have to, I need to play around with this more. And it's not just like, 
when you said like SPSS or SAS, um, it's not just the tool. It's why am I using yeah. this method? What, how can that tool look at it? Help me read data and understand and make meaning of it, right? So that was kind of my interest in doing this, right? And almost like I wasn't interested in the math as much as I was interested in the philosophy. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 wanted to do the study. How should I think of it? Like early, like, okay, this is the best methodology. This is the best way to like, design the study. And I'm taking the course now, which is my fourth course, and it was about designing studies and. In somewhere in the description, buried deep, deep, like I had to go back and find this, deep, deep in the description, they said th- the context they use for this is public health. Well, the whole course is on epidemiology, which is not that it's not helpful, but it's not helpful. Like, like it's not the, it's not the same thing, right? No. So, so. For this session, for this course, I'm actually having to learn like different epidemiology methodologies, mm-hmm. and I don't have the context of which to to uh, apply it. The only thing that was helpful that talked about logic regressions, which I've used uh, before, um, and and one specific study that we that we have, but but and and the way the course is actually designed and, and uh, delivered is like it's basically you watch a bunch of videos. If you have questions, you put on the message board. Um, it's it, it hasn't been very helpful. So after this course, I, I mean, I think there's like six more. They're four-week courses to get the certificate, but I'm kind mm-hmm. of just going to bail out because it, it does take time. Um, and I, I'm just going to kind of look for something else. Uh, Arizona State University, I haven't looked more at this, but they have a certificate program I think it's called analytics and higher education. Mm-hmm. And I think they have like a little, like, I think they have something on SAS. I think they have something on kind of like big data. So yeah, we're working on building one of those because Columbia university has one. It's learning analytics. It's, um, our, so where our computer science, my college of information, cause we have learning sciences and information science people and the business school that offers, that's where there's a big data and a data analytics. And another one that like my major professor that I eventually co-opted Nick Evangelopoulos, he's awesome. Uh, he, he essentially, upset SAS because he wrote JavaScripts and he published things that they would like to privatize and own for themselves. He's like, no, this is how other researchers can understand and make meaning of data this way. And I don't know. I, good for you for taking another course. I think I've signed up for some and I like the MOOCs because there's things in them that I can use and practice, but Honestly, it's like me reading. I, I treat MOOCs like reading a book. Like I'm not going to sign up to f- almost finish. I finished a few, yeah. but I look them at books and I want to look at like I'm a mixed methods person. Like I need to see both sides of the data. And I like that I have researchers in both fields that do that and some mixed folks themselves. But I, like, I'm more likely to read a book. Um, I'm more likely to... Um, study uh, how some other means like I look at anthropologists for ethnography I look at my um, some different grounded theories for my for my social science areas and then I need to have some instrumentation so if I'm developing an instrument or not redeve- not developing or just testing an instrument I need to know like what I should be looking at so I like to have I have way too many books which I'm realizing in methods but I, I like you and need to know a little bit about it and also have context like 
maybe just working on projects is how I think I learn best by working on something. Well, so it's interesting you said that. I think what has really been apparent to me is uh, working with you and Jamie and Katie is going to be more helpful and an education uh, process for me than doing these classes. And these classes have really been interfering with the amounts of time I can do research. Like my, like it's, it's, you only have a limit, like the, the commodity of time that you have is limited. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't sleep a lot, somewhere there's a maximum <laughs> amount um, of, of free time you have. And if I'm spending it doing something that's not going to be productive for the way I want it to be, and it's prohibited me from working on this loot review as fast as I should have, um, then I, I needed to, you know, move on and just find other ways to do it. So I'm probably not going to do it in a formal way, at least not right now, because it is interfering with the amount of time I can work on current research projects. Yeah. And, and I would say like, you're right. You have to prioritize what you need. And I remember being told in my program that, you know what, you have what you have in terms of skills. You're going to go forward with your PhD. And everyone celebrates the end of a PhD or EDD, even any kind of terminal degree. Um, and they're like, yeah, I'm done. I was like, do you get it? Like, that just gives you a license to continue to learn and research. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful and grateful. Like, George Velichanos, I, I think he's an amazing um, researcher. And I'm fortunate I get to work with him on that team because I've learned more qualitative stuff in research methods and ideas that I'm taking forward into my current research projects that um, I I wasn't a big qual person in my degree program, but I'm learning, I learned a lot and I'm applying that or I'm I'm just thinking about different ways. I'm looking at different data that's unstructured that I've learned from people and yeah, like reading literature reviews. I think this is my um, fourth or fifth systematic one. You realize, Hey, there's a lot of crap out there and you're like, you don't have to worry about imposter syndrome because things get published and you're I'm not sure how but they do um and I've been thinking more about uh just putting methods forward like setting good foundation that's all we're doing right now is like setting up a good foundation to see what's been done before what hasn't been looked at really and then figure out like for like for the podcast example that research I think figure out what are some of the questions that need to be asked in the lens that we're looking at for professional learning and development and growth for faculty and staff. I think that's a, a cool question that's not been asked in that area. And uh, in talking to a few podcast hosts, producers, creators, I think they have some questions that would be great to crowdsource from them and also from listeners, what, the, what they'd want to know. So I wish that I uh, my camera was working right now so I could show you all the journals that I've gotten from AERA, <laughs> the American Education Research Association. Yes. Um, because, like, when you look at – I they've sent me, like, five. Mm. And I haven't been a member very long. And they have sent me, like, back issues of some stuff. Yeah. So it makes me think, like – like it almost like depresses you because it's like a super hard journal to get into, but they're also saying like, look at all the things that we publish and we're not accepting you into it. But it just, but, but yeah, there's just so much out there and you read a lot of these, these, uh, articles and you wonder how they get actually get, get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like to, I like to submit things because I feel like I'm helping journals out by, uh, driving up their uh, denied uh, percentage a little bit higher. 
I like submitting it because you get. I'm gonna put it on the community service. Yeah, it, it is. So one, you should be if you're gonna be submitting, you should be reviewing, right? So I I do both, um, both for conferences um, and for journals because if you're if you're submitting, then you should be reviewing. Um, what is it like? If you submit one, you should review two or something like that. Two to three in the field. I don't know. I've heard something like that before, but I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think, and the second thing I've learned from some of this is find people to work with that you can learn from because I think part of this learning that we're talking about, statistically or not, and Lail, we may bring you on sometime to talk about how much you love R and all your data analytics work um, and and how your his actual degree in applied uh, math and stats has moved him into another career um, field and industry, and it sounds pretty cool. So we'll have him on sometime. Um, we could we could probably wrap yeah, up. It sounds now. like super super smart. Oh yeah, he, he's pretty smart. Um, it's interesting to hear the path he took, and interesting to hear him talk about his love for it. And I don't think he'll do a PhD per se, but he could because he has an interest in like, um, I think understanding more and explaining to others. And yeah, it was interesting having a chat with him about that. So uh, we we might chat with him sometime soon about data and data analytics um a couple topics coming up that we're thinking about talking about um because we've talked about it or heard from others um one is parenting and and world in the world of work you know we might stop and have a break about that so and, yeah. and different types of parenting um two one i want to talk to you about is something i'm working on for the new media consortium is the the future of work and what it means and kind of i've been reading a lot of future books like the rise of the robots the industries of the future uh the future of work i won't say put me into a dark hole but i kind of did <laughs> and then the other one was i actually asked Fierk, uh, since he was around if he could talk to us about um cyber and as we think about we've touched on it but i thought we could get someone who's in the field of cybersecurity yeah. to talk about why cyber warfare should be more scarier than a nuke somewhere and what that means and yeah yeah that would be awesome to have him on do you have other things you want to chat about in the future um so my friend jessica pettit wrote a book yeah um and she would like to come talk to us about it i just need to schedule a time for her to come talk to us about it the book is called um good enough now yeah that's right question mark no there's no question mark in the book title okay um, I, uh, also, and we don't need to do this now. Um, I, um, oh, also, uh, so I, I started reading my, this Hamilton audiobook book, mm-hmm. uh, uh, before was hired. <laughs> um, I haven't finished it yet. That's Mooch. Yeah. See you, Mooch. See you, Mooch. 45 um, got ready too quick. I hope he got his like uh, first page, his only paycheck signed, his paperwork done. I hope he was renting and he could get out of his lease. <laughs> um, cool. So we have some good topics coming ahead. Um, also, 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 and um, I, I did the ancestry dot com um, ethnicity oh, thing. Yeah. Like you, like spit the DNA thing. Like you spit in the tube and I tell you like your your ethnic makeup. Yeah. Um, so we can, we can talk about that at some point. That's right. I do want to hear about this because it's fascinating to me and yeah. So DNA. So those are some things that we're going to take a break and have a drink with y'all later. Um, 
recommendations for her reading and or listening and or whatever? So uh, I'm I'm a th- I'm a fan of Sam Sanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam started, I guess, was the early host of the NPR Politics podcast, mm-hmm. and he's a reporter for NPR. Uh, his also his hometown is San Antonio, Texas, mm-hmm. so it makes me a little bit uh, more of a, a fan of his. Um, he started a new podcast um, called it's, "It's Been a Minute." Okay. And it started um, maybe two months ago. It was this summer. Uh, rec- it's it's still recent, and it, it, it took him a while to figure out what he's going to do for a podcast. And it is a very unique type podcast. It's there's is there's two a week. Um, Tuesday is like a one-on-one interview with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one of those I've heard so far was he interviewed the guy that plays uh, Jonah on Deep. Oh, nice. I like yeah. I like Jonah. He, remi- he kind of reminds me. No, no, not Jonah. Someone else reminds me of you. Go. Keep going. Um, and um, uh, he, a lot nicer in person than on the show, the, the Jonah character. <laughs> uh, and I'm like super behind in Deep. So she's not even president yet when I started watching. So, um, oh, and so... Nice. And then he does a thing on Fridays where he has two people on and they kind of review the week and it can't, it can be a review. It, I mean, it's, it's always a, a political aspect, right? It's in PR. Mm-hmm. See. But they also talk about like pop culture or whatever else happened that week. Um, yeah. the coolest thing, the coolest thing he does though, is he ends the show where people can call in and leave recordings called the best thing that happened to you this week. And it kind of, um, like the things are sweet are, are sweet, but like the, the live reactions or the recorded reactions of the host, um, as they're listening to these things of the week, um, makes that part really good. And it kind of, I guess, nice to have these, to know there are positive things happening around the world on, on every week in people's lives. they, you know, babies are born and anniversaries are had and people get into law schools and people like are doing well in life. And, mm-hmm. um, it's nice for them to call and to, to give those, um, uh, the, those audio, re, re, those random audio recordings to kind of make you to feel good to close the podcast. So it's been a minute, Sam Sanders, highly recommend. Cool. I'm putting that on my list because I need some feel good love. Um, so I know that like maybe it was you or maybe it was, it was probably Jeff Lale was anti TED talk, right? Cause TED, the TED talks in general have blown up and then there's all these other versions of TEDx and everyone's a TED talker these days. And yeah. you feel like it's flooded by everyone's like, I'm a speaker and I talk about these things on technology and and entertainment design. And, um, is it education design? TED, yeah. And uh, yeah, I yeah, know. whatever. And so, what gets blown out of proportion, I think, are the personalities of that. And I still listen to Ted Radio Hour, but I discovered a different one. Um, it's still made by Ted, and it's actually not about a person at all. It's about an issue they're going through, and it's called Sincerely X. So it's still the makers of Ted. And what they've done is they talk about an issue or an episode or an incident that someone's gone through, and it's... Um, 
it's produced by Audible. And what they do is have um, either the person or someone else narrate and tell their story, but they're not talking about them. And so you don't know who it is. And it's really about the issue, which I think is kind of cool. And uh, one of the first ones I listened to was about a doctor. And she talks about a a mistake she made because she was just so burnt out. And and it's her fatal mistake. Um, She let a patient go, essentially, and uh, that she misdiagnosed it and um, that patient um, passed away. And she felt that, like, the field of medicine and her role at that time actually just pushed her towards professional burnout. And so there's issues. She talks about her awareness, um, how, how she came to think about it, how she came to deal about it, how she's never talked about it. And uh, it's it's not really about who she is and presenting this idea. It's about the idea. And so that was uh, the first episode I listened to was Dr. Burnout. And there was another one. There's been another one since um, on someone who goes into, let's just let's call pepper spray. She, they have a mental breakdown and don't re- even realize it um, from something that happened to them. Um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear those stories, which that's what I like. And I think you like the story and how people yeah. explain their learning and understanding and awareness of something. So uh, yeah, so I checked I check that out. It's called Sincerely X. And it's, it looks like they're going to come out with weekly podcasts. And yeah, I thought it was just really interesting to hear that narrative side. The, the E is entertainment, by the way. It is entertainment. That's what I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of weird. I mean, it, it, technology, entertainment, design. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have, I have a mixed, I have mixed feelings about Ted. Uh, I, I think the thing that brought us, I think the thing that, um, if there's a, a legacy of Ted 50 years from now, I think it's changed the way we do uh, some presentations. Yeah. Uh, they don't, they don't have to to be an hour. They can be short. They can be five minutes and they can still be impactful. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that this is not specific of Ted is, is, is of most things. There's a fadness to them where I remember several years ago, a lot of higher people were going like given a Ted talk is on my bucket list. And I'm like, why <laughs> it's why, because, and it's more like, and it's almost like in high school, Ted is really popular, so I want to be popular too. Because it's not that the people who are doing TED Talks really want to give TED Talks. It's that they have something to say. So what should be on your bucket list is doing either research or work that's so meaningful. Right. It's so meaningful. You get invited to give an impactful presentation. And so, like, like I think it's the way that people started looking at it was like completely, completely backwards. And then, and then some people. So some people's argument, which this isn't mine, is like, like long term has Ted been impactful? Like, as as what people were talking about is like a long term impact. I I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's given us Brene Brown. Like, her research would have been out there regardless, but it would not have been as wide. Wide, widely known. Daring Greatly would not have been read as widely as it is now had she not been uh, given one of the best probably TED Talks that I've, I've seen. So, you know, and, and, and other people that I can't think of, you know, Daniel Pink's book was really is good. Uh, I think Andrew Duckworth. Drive. Talked, yeah, a Drive. And yeah, I think Andrew Duckworth, I, I, I think, came as a TED, TED Talk after her research. So that's not probably a good example. But it's, it's given us, it's made popular some 
uh, research because of it. And I, you know, that's, that's probably good. And those are the actual Ted, not, not X ones. Like there's a lot of TEDx, but I would say yeah. it's gotten stories out there in different ways and research and, and shared in different ways, which I think sharing research for public consumption could be something we talk so, about at some point. But I think that I like, think what's interesting is Brene Brown's original talk was a TEDx Houston talk. Nice. It was it was so it was like the local level, right? So it wasn't like yeah. the, the the larger one. So, hmm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I don't. I don't think I really uh, see. That's never been my goal to do a talk like that um, because I th- I think it's important to get those ideas and and evidence based ideas out um, in that format. But I don't know if that's really what it's all about these days. Like I think there's some. There's some mixed. There's lots of water in the field and information. I don't have those kind of goals. Yeah. And I know at one point I probably had something, or I wouldn't say it's a goal. I was like, it would be cool if I, mm-hmm. you know, those things happen. I don't have, I don't have uh, um, those type of look at me on the stage kind of goals. Yeah. Anymore because I think, and it's not that what I'm saying is like, it's not that what I'm doing is more significant. It's just different. Um, but there's something about, you know, everyone wants to go into consulting at some point. Everyone wants to be like a big speaker. Everyone wants to do all this kind of stuff. Like, I don't, I just, I got to a point where I could have, um, pursued those things. I don't know if I would have been good at them, but I could have pursued them and just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to spend my time traveling. Yeah. I didn't want to spend my time in, in that way. And so I, like given a TED talk, if it ever came up, Okay, great. It would be, it would be a great it would be a great experience, but it's not like it's a goal I have, or I feel like I'm going to be more or less meaningful with or without it. I hope your TED talk is how you don't want to give that TED talk. Yeah, <laughs> this is stupid. <laughs> uh, no, I think you're right, though. I think doing the work is everything, and sometimes um, people lose sight of that. And I would also say people that are giving these talks have been doing the work for, like, over a decade or two. Like, that, it's not just something you do out of a grad program, any level, <laughs> master's or PhD. Yeah. You need to do the work and have something to talk about, I feel. So, yeah, I'm with you. And we can talk about that as another topic sometime. Um, your goal list, uh, your anti-goal list, sure. Um, yeah, so, so I have a process of how to do goals and when I do them. And I'm now, like, September 1st is the time. And so I'm, I'm thinking through what my goals are going to be. Cool. We'll, we'll add that to the, the list to talk about your goals. Cool. Well, until next time, uh, Jeff, we'll sign off to our friends. Hopefully they've gathered something about statistics, research, and... All right. Ciao. Bye, y'all.